try to describe something or someone that we can't describe. It's just amazing. I've told uh, the girls like to use that word amazing a lot. So that's not amazing. You see, you're, you, you'll see that again. You'll see people do that numerous times throughout your life. Something that's amazing is something you'll never see or you'll never see it again. That's amazing. You'll never see anybody else in your life like Jesus. There'll never be anybody that can do for you what he's done or will do for you what he's promised. He is an amazing God. We're going to ask our children to stay uh, in service with us today. Also, ladies, uh, don't forget, uh, tomorrow is our ladies' Bible study. At 6.30, you'll be studying on Colossians 1 and 10. Uh, come prepared to participate in the discussion, there'll be a new favorite verse chosen uh, during the meeting for next month. And also our, our men's uh, fellowship will be on October the 1st. I believe that's Friday night of this coming up week. Is that right, brother? And uh, come ready to join the discussion in, uh, in our Bible study and devotion as well. Look forward to being with the men on Friday night. Uh, we're going to uh, preach this morning out of the book of Daniel, chapter 1. I do want to say thank you for those that have been praying for me. I went to uh, Michigan this past week and preached a pastor's conference. I, did, I really didn't know if I'd be able to go. It was a pitiful shape. We just got out of revival. My voice was shot, and uh, right around the weekend, whatever crew that uh, went through, Kirsten and Corey's family latched on to me. And the weekend, man, I had a very sore throat. I mean, very sore, hurt and swallowed, especially in the morning. What voice I had left, that crew attacked it, and I couldn't hardly talk. Just, it, I sounded awful. And, uh, but God touched me when I got in the pulpit. I lost the, lost the croup, and I thank God for that. I was able to preach, and uh, their sound system wasn't quite as, uh, as good as ours. They had little to zero to nothing for a monitor, so I felt like just putting the mic down, preaching without one. I felt like I'd have did my voice a little. When you're preaching in a mic and, and nothing's coming out of it, you feel like if you holler a little bit loud, <laughs> then something will come out. I thought I'd did better with putting it down, but uh, man, it, it, the devil didn't stop us having, when you get a bunch of pastors and their wives, and lay preachers and evangelists that are hungry for a move of God, when you, when you pile all them mixed in with some congregation, they need God to move and help them in their church. I'm telling you what, man, they, they about peeled the panel off the wall about every service. We, we had a move of God. Huh? And again, just like in our revival, I felt God all over me. I hopped with this little boot on, man. I hopped and did one-legged dance one night. I'm, tell <laughs> I'm telling you, the Lord's 
was in that house. They all laid hands on me, prayed for me, and, and believed God for me. And I'm, and I'm still battling the nerve pain in my neck. I'm supposed to see a surgeon on Thursday. One of the brothers said, well, brother, if you go see a surgeon on Thursday, you put God on a timetable. I said, you know, I've, I've been under great conviction about the same thing, about just putting that off and, and telling the doctor no and not having surgery and just waiting until my healing comes. But I, you know, I've been under conviction about the, the simple thing of glasses. We all say that and then we wear glasses. Well, I can't see without them. I can't read my text this morning without them. And I see men as trees without them. I mean, you're just there. I don't know who you are. But uh, so we wear the glasses so that we can operate and function. So I'm in a limbo. I really am. I'm tore up over it. I've walked a, I've walked a divot in our floors. Uh, praying and asking and I, I truly don't understand why I'm not healed already because I God has been all over me and I felt it on numerous occasions whether it be in church or at my house and I'm, I'm still hurt. There's a lot of things I don't understand other than uh, what God told the Apostle Paul. I, I've allowed this to come on you to humble you and uh, my grace will be sufficient for you. And uh, I've told the Lord if you've allowed this to humble me, he said, I'll give more grace to the humble. And uh, I am humble. I, I, I realize now more than ever that eight millimeters of something disaligns out of your spine by eight millimeters. You'll go from normal and healthy to begging God for his touch upon your life. I'm telling you, you're about that far. You may not realize it, but you're about that far from needing God like you never needed him before. I always need him, but I'm not always aware of it. But I am now, every moment of every day. I'm aware of just how much I need the Lord's touch upon my life. He has humbled me greatly. If somebody asks me to pray for them, I am greatly humbled. I realize they need God's touch desperately. And I don't just nonchalantly say, yeah, we'll pray for you. But I, I'm deeply moved by their need. And it, it means something more now to tell somebody, I'll pray for you because I have greatly needed the prayers. I, I've never been hurt. I've never been in any kind of health dilemma. I've never needed God to help me physically. I've needed him to help me in many other ways. And he always has. But a physical need is something a little bit different. It's on you and it's with you nonstop. And you, you just, there's just no way to get around it. you just hurting all the time and that's been my testimony. But somehow, some way, I thank God that I've been able to function and I, there's no place I'd rather be. Here in just a couple of minutes, it's gonna leave me. Because of the anointing, he said because of the anointing, the yoke shall be destroyed. And I find this is the best feeling place I could be is ministering for God with his anointing to preach upon my life. So we're going to turn to Daniel chapter number one. We'll begin reading this morning with verse number eight. Daniel chapter number one. We'll begin reading 
with verse number 8. Reads like this, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince and the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. The prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink for wine, should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort. Then shall he make me in danger, or, or then shall ye make me in danger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, prove thy servants, or test thy servants, I beseech thee ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. As thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter, and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Then Melzar took away the portion of the meat, or the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. And for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar and the king communed with them. And among them all was found none like Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even under the first year of King Cyrus. I want to preach on this thought. I dare to be different. I dare to be different. I'll just tell you if I could have conversation with any of you versus Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or Nancy Pelosi or Adam Schiff or Chuck Schumer or Jerry Nadler, I would find you, any one of you, ten times better to talk to than any of them. 10,000 times better to talk to than any of them. Amen. Amen. I, I would have probably said the same thing about Donald Trump, and I thought he was an awesome president. There's something about God's people. Something about the Spirit of God living on the inside of a man or a woman. I dare to be different. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I pray, oh God, you'll anoint our ears to hear what the Spirit would say unto the church. God, lead us, draw us, guide us closer to you. My desire is to be like Jesus in this world, to be a light to, 
to be the salt of the earth, to be, God, a bridge unto man where you can speak to the lost, where you can lead them to salvation, where the hurting can find, oh God, help and health and healing, where those that are bound, oh God, by addiction and by sin can find deliverance and freedom. Granted, I pray, touch us around this altar. There are so many needs. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. If you love the Lord, would you say amen? I do want to mention we're going to have prayer, special prayer uh, during the altar service. That'll probably be the case. I want to tell you, church, that's probably probably going to be the case from here on out. We'll be having special prayer for people. There are people dealing with COVID all over, serious cases where people are in the hospital on ventilators, dying, and uh, there are other cases, too, with people that are suffering uh, with other disease. Remember cancer? That's still out there. And uh, people are in dire need. I uh, had a call this weekend, uh, Bert Joyner. Uh, you guys probably know him. Uh, he is Brother Curtis, Big C's nephew. And uh, Brother Danny Ray's grandson, he, their youngest son, uh, his name is Walker. Uh, Bert was at the hunt camp yesterday. It was on the side-by-side, -side, the buggy, and that thing flipped flipped over and it, it, it crushed a little walker underneath it when it was flipping over and he had severe brain trauma and they removed a large portion of his skull had severe brain bleed the doctors didn't think he would live through the surgery, he did and uh, they don't know the extent of the brain damage they told him we don't even know if you know if he's not brain dead or whatever, we haven't been able to so we're going to take this one day at a time. He's very critical. Bert's not saved. He has been saved in the past, but uh, he called me crying and upset. Uh, I preached for Sister Helen a number of times, and he uh, somehow, some way, God used me to make an impact on that boy's life. And uh, when it happened, he got his mom. He said, you called Brother Eddie. And so I, I got in touch with him, and... Uh, He's weeping and crying. I would be too if my baby boy was in critical condition. He's three years old. And I told him, I said, Bert, God is merciful. And if you cry out to God for mercy, I've watched God hear prayers for mercy and be merciful to people that he had no reason whatsoever to be merciful to. And I said, you can plead and ask God for his mercy. And I said, he'll hear you. You'll hear your prayer. And uh, Sister Tracy called me, and uh, that's his aunt. And she said, Bird is laying in the asphalt out there in the hospital parking lot. He is pleading God for mercy on this baby boy. And uh, I told her, I said, well, I'm in the bedroom praying right now, and I'm, I'm doing the same thing asking God to be merciful and to please touch that baby and raise him up. I tried to imagine if it was one of my grandchildren, three years old, I would be in the floor begging God to touch my baby. And so we're going to have prayer for little, his name is Walker, and I want to ask God to completely heal that baby's brain and that he'll wake up normal, completely healed. And I, I know God is able. So there, there's a multitude of needs, but we're going to preach this morning. 
if God will help us on our dare to be different. The Bible's filled with many, many accounts, many godly men and women who are worthy to be recognized as men and women that stood out. They were God's man or God's woman, God's ministers. The Bible says that we are uh, salt. We're the salt of the earth. And people had no refrigerators in biblical days. They didn't have a deep freeze to keep whatever they needed from perishing. Non-perishables, if you don't eat it right away, then you've lost it. That's right. And or even, you know, anything, any type of food, if you don't eat it soon, you've lost it. They didn't have a deep freeze to save their food. So salt was that for them. They would uh, pack meat in salt and it would preserve it. And we don't see that much anymore, but our forefathers did the same thing. They would uh, cure meat with salt and it would be preserved forever. I remember going to a Lambert's one time and all those hams that they had hanging up in there. I thought those things were plastic. I really did. And I went went by it one of them one day and I, I just slapped it. It swing had dust all over it and I slapped it. And it got grease all over my hand. And I went back and I touched it and the guy that was throwing rolls was looking at me like, what are you doing? And I said, that's a real ham. And he said, yeah. I said, man, I, I never knew that. I said, it's been in here ever since the store's been in here. He said, it has. And I said, that thing must be salt cured. He said, yes, it is. He said, they tell me it'll last forever hanging up there. So you put it in water, pull all the salt out of it, put it on a table, and serve it and eat it. It just, it just reminded me what Jesus said. You are the salt of the earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know the church is what's kept the world right. from being totally taken over right. by sin? Right. Totally taken over. You're the light of the world. The church has kept the world from totally going into darkness. Right. Oh, a, a, one such person in the Bible this, this man who dared to be different in a land called Babylon where nobody worshipped or served Jehovah God. A land engulfed with spiritual darkness. Daniel was a man who not only was different, but he obtained preeminence and power in his lifetime. God elevated him to the top. I want to tell you, our day is soon coming when God is going to make the church stand out. Come on. When there's no hospital to go to, when there's no doctor you can see, I'm telling you the day is soon coming in America where people are going to walk through those double doors and say, does your God heal? People are going to walk through those doors desperate for some kind of hope. I need the God that you claim to serve. And you are going to see God elevate the church and see great things. Not because we're great people, but because we serve a great God. We sang that song, you are amazing. And you're going to see God is amazing. God elevated Daniel. So that he could show himself to be mighty in the king's eyes and in the eyes of all the people. 
He started out preeminent among the children of Israel. In Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, we didn't read them, but it said, And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed, and a prince's children in whom was no blemish, but well favored, skillful in all wisdom, cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. The king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. And among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I want to say they were teenage boys. They were young people. Yeah. These were just kids. But they were kids that stood out. I know the most difficult thing for young people today is to live for God and not be in the popular crowd. Not be loved or admonished or adored by the sinful world. This world wants to train you in their ways, in their ideology, in their way of thinking and in their way of living. But God says, if you'll live for me, if you'll walk with me, and if you'll follow me, I'll use your life to lead them out of sin under God. Yeah. You see, if we taper ourselves down and trail off after the way of the world, we will disqualify ourselves from allowing God to use us to lead sinners unto him. Why do you live the way you live? Well, number one, I want to walk in obedience so that I can leave in the rapture. But number two, if God's left me in this earth to use me, I want to be usable. I don't want to disqualify myself from ministry. I want God's hand. I want his anointing. I want his power. Why? Not so I can hog it all. Not so I can feel, you know, power or feel elevated or more than somebody else. I want to lead men and women to God. If somebody's sick, I want the Burt Joiners of the world to be able to call me and say, Brother Eddie, my baby needs a miracle. Can you pray? And when I pray, I need to know God will hear me. Daniel was such a man. He had three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these were teenage boys uh, that chose uh, to live uh, for God. Right. And they stood out uh, from the crowd. He gained preeminence also among the wise men of Babylon. In Daniel 1 verses 17 through 20 it says, As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. He said at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in. Then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And he communed with them. He talked with them. And among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And the king inquired of them or asked of them and he found them ten times better than any of the smart elects in Babylon. 
ten times better than any of the lunatics in Washington, D.C. You give me four Christian men or women saved, full of the Holy Ghost, uh, and put them in Washington, and they could turn this country around on a dime. Woo! Hallelujah! I believe it! He was given power over all Babylon. You know what God said? God said to Nebuchadnezzar, you know what's wrong with this country? Demon-possessed men and women are in rule. And if you'll put Daniel and these other three boys in charge, I'll turn this nation around and I'll show you my power and my glory. And that king, even as lost and and, and uh, demonic uh, as he was uh, had enough sense to know these four boys are different uh, I'm going to put them over all the nation Come on, you know Pharaoh seen the same thing in Joseph and put him second in charge uh, and he saved the nation of Israel in a drought I want to tell you you're not what's wrong with the world you're what's right You're not what's wrong with this world. You're what's right. You're not insane. You're not goofy. You're not out of touch with reality. You're not the one who's doing wrong. You're the one who's doing right. And God said, I need you. I desire you. And I'm about to use you in this hour like I never have before. He was given power over all Babylon. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 48, then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Then Daniel requested of the king and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. They commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. I want to tell you, Joe Biden ain't going to appoint me to nothing. But I'm telling you in this wicked hour, if you'll live for God, if you'll dare to be God's man or God's woman, you'll find favor on your job site. Somebody say amen to me. You'll find favor with your boss. You'll find favor with your supervisor. You'll find favor with the owner of the company. And you'll find that men are coming to you for wisdom. Men are coming to you for advice. They see God's hand on your life. And God will put you in a position where you can touch the lives of men. He received similar power over the Medo-Persian Empire in Daniel 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom and over these three presidents of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give account unto them and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. There's a reason why he found favor. He's not a wicked man. He's not drinking, cussing, 
carousing. He's not living like the world. He's not partying on a Friday night. Uh, he's in his Bible. He's on his knees praying and seeking God. He's not chasing the latest uh, and the greatest. Uh, he's looking to God. And he's God's man. There's a reason why. There's an excellent spirit in him. When I read that, I said, Oh, God, is that excellence in me? Come on, Daniel's able to reach these positions of power and influence without compromising his position as a godly man. Joseph is over all Potiphar's house. Just like Daniel found prominence, so did Joseph because of God's hand upon his life, and he did it without compromise. You don't have to compromise your conviction for God to elevate you to a position of influence. Yeah. Amen. That's good. Amen. To the, hey, I've dealt with this as a pastor. I've had women quit their jobs because they told me, the boss said, you got to be with me if you want to go to the top. And you know what I'm talking. There are children in here, but you know what I'm talking about. I said, you better quit that job and do like Joseph did. Run. Run. God's got another job and a better job. And do you know their next job was a higher position at another company making more money? Can you say amen? The devil's lie is you got to compromise if you want to make it. Make what? I'm interested in making heaven. Joseph said, I cannot sin yeah. such a great sin against my God. And he ran. He was a teenage boy, 17 years old, and he ran away from temptation. Yeah. 17 years old, you know he was full of hormones. You know most 17-year-old boys would have been flattered that an older woman was interested in him. He had the time. He had the influence. He had the opportunity. But he had God. And he ran. He ran, I'm telling you. Run from the temptation. Run from the flattery of the world. Where should I run? Unto Jesus. Under Jesus. Close look at the book of Daniel reveals his secret and shows us how we too can be men and women of influence in our generation. First, we notice that even as a young teenage boy, Daniel was a man of purpose. Daniel 1 and 8 says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuch that he might not defile himself. There's nothing wrong with saying to your principal, to your teacher, to your boss, to your supervisor, or to the owner of the company, I can't do that uh, because it violates uh, my conviction with God. I worked at Sherman. I started out as a truck driver, and everybody called me the preacher or rev. I've told you about I went on that job, and they shorted me money. I got back to the 
job site and I recounted it three times and I was either $250 or $300 short of several thousand. He was counting it out in 20s and he stopped and said, is that right? Two or three times. He knew it wasn't right. He had a wad of 20s in his hand. Is that, that, that's it, right? That's all of it. He took that wad of 20s, put it in his pocket and I thought, that was strange. I went back to the neighborhood and told the woman whose long, big driveway we had pulled, she said, I gave that man the exact money and told him to give it to you. She said, he knew that was the right amount. He took that money. So I went back to the job site and they said, boss wants to see you Monday. I went, that was on a Saturday. I went to church on Sunday and I told my pastor what happened. I was weeping and crying. I just got that job. We were in financial distress, young. Just saved, we were young. I, I had been without a job for a while. Got that one, we were in financial stress, I can tell you. I said, I can't afford to lose this job. And Brother Tim said, all son, it'll be all right. God, God ain't gonna let you get fired. He's gonna, every one of them truck drivers, they were operator owners. They were laughing at me. They said, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. The rail ain't been here two weeks. He done stole $300. They were used to being around other preachers that were womanizers. Other preachers that if you made them mad, they'd cuss you out. Other preachers that would sip on a, glass or a bottle of wine. Oh, Lord, preacher done been here. Two weeks, he done stole $300. Preacher, they either going to take $300 out of your check or you're going to get fired one or two, but you ain't going to get by with that. I went, I went to the altar that Sunday morning. They gave that altar call, and I went to the altar. I was weeping and crying. I said, Lord, I don't care about $300, but it's the integrity. It's them thinking that a man of God, a Christian, a preacher of the gospel would dare steal from anybody. That's what I need you to rectify. That's what I need you to fix. I don't want those men thinking that I'm that. God, I need you to speak to the contractor. He's the one that stole. I need you to speak to that contractor. I need you to put it on his heart to give that money back. I showed up Monday morning and our company had called the contractor and told them the story. My story, the owner's story, and, that, and the owner of that contracting company came to the job site and met with me and my supervisor. They called me up to the office. I was down there with all the other drivers waiting on a load. And they said, uh-oh, it's reckoning time for the rev. See you, Rev. It's been nice knowing you. I walked up those stairs. My supervisor was in there. He said, now tell me the story how it happened. I told him again, and he shook his head. He said, boy, why didn't you count that money three times on the job instead of leaving? I said, because I was in a bad neighborhood. It was dark, and I was counting more. I was counting all them 20s out and I had the young teenage boys walking by looking at all that money and I felt like I was a target. I took the money and run. I said I was dumb. 
He said, yeah, that was a very dumb thing to do. He said, they told me Saturday that your company called me Saturday. And he said, I was at church yesterday. He said, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, that driver's telling the truth. Your supervisor stole that money from him. And you need to give it back. There is a God in heaven. Woo! And he said, I was at church. He said that in front of my supervisor. And he said, that's the only reason I'm giving this money today. God told me to. He pulled his wallet out, laid three $100 bills down the desk, said to my supervisor, he said, we good? He said, yes, sir, we good. Put that money in a money box. The guy, the owner shook my hand, and he said, sir, he said, count all the money on the job site next time. Let's don't go through this again. I said, you can count on it. We shook hands. He went down. My supervisor, a tear, rolled down his cheek. And he shook my hand and he said, now I know there's a man of God that works for this company. Yes. Now I know a man of God works for this company. He said, never would I have ever dreamed in a million years that a contractor would come back and give money that he didn't have to give. I went down those stairs and they said, how about it, Rev? What happened? I said the owner of the contract company came and paid the $300. He said the Lord spoke to him at church yesterday. <laughs> that his supervisor stole that money. And he laid $300 bills down on the desk and shook my hand. I won't ever forget. I can't. John was his name. I don't remember his last name. He's a young black man. Always wearing them black rubber boots. He oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> he said, I done seen me a, a miracle. He said, uh-uh, everybody. Y'all don't be talking about red no more. That is a man of God. <laughs> he said, a black man just came out of nowhere and gave you $300. That's a man of God. I'm telling you, it's nothing to me. But if you'll live right, if you'll walk with God, if you'll give Christ the preeminence, I'm telling you the day will come when he'll elevate you over men so that men, when they are in need, will come to you. Those men, for the rest of my years on that job, I went from a driver to a plant manager to a dispatcher in the main office. And the supervisor over the whole company, we'd go to a Christmas party. And when I walked in, they all got beer bottles lined up. When I walked in, they all put the beer bottles under the table. Hey, Eddie. Good to see you. I told Kim, they don't need to hide their beer bottles from me. They need to throw them away. If they're that ashamed, it's God they fear, not me. Walk in the break room and they're talking about the wild weekends, but you walk in the break room and the room goes silent with a hush. Preachers in, get quiet. I told them one day, I said, y'all don't need to get quiet for me, but the one that's convicted your heart in this room wants you to quit living the life you're living. 
young boy in a strange land, I gotta quit. Curse if you come help me. I've got 2.1. I'll finish tonight, Lord will. <laughs> young boy in a strange land, Daniel's immediately faced with a challenge to violate God's law by eating the king's food. But despite being a young teenage boy and giving in to the pressure to do what everybody else is doing, look, boy, you ain't at home now. You in Babylon. You need to eat the king's meat or you might lose your head. Instead of giving in to the pressure to conform, Daniel purposed in his heart to, to walk with God anyway. I don't care where I am. I don't care who I'm with. My purpose is to have God's touch on my life. Because of his willingness to put God first, God granted Daniel favor in the sight of all men. God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince and the eunuchs is what the Bible said. How God did it is not really explained, but he also did it in Joseph's life. I've watched him do it in Brother Homer's life. Probably one of the only ones that don't have a, you know, some kind of fancy degree by his name. But he's out there as a supervisor, and when things go wrong, I've seen the, you know, the guys who run the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. They sent over from Germany to hug his neck. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Put him over all the other electricians. What is that? It's God. It's God. And when men need prayer, I've watched them come to it. We've watched God's hand on you. We've watched how you've lived. We need God. And cussing them out. Every time something goes wrong, they're not going to come to him. And they're not going to come to you if you're like them. Say it. Say it. I dare to be different. By putting God first, God... Blessed Daniel and blessed Joseph in a way that impressed others around him. Every child of God needs to be a man or a woman of purpose. You need purpose in your heart in 2021. I don't care what mandate they give. I don't care what they tell me I have to do. I'm being governed by this book. That violates a principle or a law of this book, and I say no. I say I draw the line. I'm going to stand for Jesus. I'm going to live for God. Nobody respects somebody who's in and out, hot and cold, wishy-washy. You come to church on Sunday every now and again and live like them in the world. They don't respect that. Whereas there's a strong sense of purpose toward God will breed respect and admiration. What should be the purpose of the church? Matthew 6 and 33. Stand with me, I'm through. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else you need in this life, God said, I'll add it to you. I'll add it to you.
I'll give it to you. I'll never forget that supervisor at that same plant. God had elevated me. Come time for me, God spoke to me and said, I want you to go through that school of Christ. I want you there. Some things I need you to hear and I want to put in your life. It was a month and I said, I, I sure hate to quit my job, especially after I've climbed all the way up and I'm making better pay and I got good insurance. I sure hate to quit. God said he wanted me there, and I went to my boss, and I said, look, I said, I need to take a 30-day leave of absence. He said, wow. He said, how are you going to pay your bills if you not work for 30 days? I said, I totally don't know. I said, my wife's saying we can't do that. My pastor's saying, you don't need to do that. You know, you can buy that material and We'll do it here at the church. You don't need to go off for 30 days. But God said he wanted me there. So I I said, I need a 30-day leave of absence. He said, under one condition. I said, yes, sir. If I can meet it, I will. He said, promise me that you won't quit, that you'll come back after 30 days. He said, man, I need you. I need you in this company. He said, everything runs better with you in this office. He said, I feel better with you in this office. Please don't leave me. I said, man, I don't want to. I said, I was hoping you wouldn't fire me. He said, man, you've got a job here as long as you want. I'm just telling you, God wants to use you in ways that you never dreamed. God wants to make you a man or a woman of influence and power in this dark world that is about to be desperate for hope. Amen. Father, we thank you. The word of God, Lord, you've laid this upon my heart for such a time as this. I believe some of the choicest people in the whole world are in this house today. And I pray your hand would be upon us all. God, that you would use us in the workplace in the school system, oh God. Lord, out there on the streets, in Walmart, in Publix, in that outlet mall, in a restaurant, God, that in these dark times in which we live, we would dare and purpose in our heart that we will be men and women of God. We will walk with you. We choose to live for you, to walk in obedience. God, we hunger desire your presence, your power, your unction, your anointing upon our life. If we are called to live in this earth, to be salt and light, God, we pray your anointing upon us to be such. Help us like these four teenage boys in our text. God, to be ready, to be available, to be usable. God, that we will not fail you in this hour. Let our story be written in the journals of heaven just like the story of these four teenage boys is written in the Word of God. God, may our life and our testimony tell the story throughout ages to come. Touch us in this altar as we seek your face. How many of you join me around this altar? You'll lift both hands to heaven and say, Lord, I desire your touch. I need your touch upon my life. God, I dare to be different in this world of compromise. Hallelujah.